What's up, football fans? You're listening to Football Game Plan University's Talking Ball with the Czar. I'm Emery Hunt, the Czar of the Playbook, and you can follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. Also, make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, and be sure to follow us on YouTube and subscribe to that YouTube channel at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. And if you missed any one of our shows, you can find them archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. And also on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash FBGP podcast. And I'm on the line with head football coach Rick Rasmussen of the Utah Falcons. Coach, I appreciate you taking time. Well, thanks for having me on your show, Emery. Well, Coach, you have back-to-back national titles with the Utah Falcons. At what point did you realize that this 2017 team had a chance to repeat? Well, I think early on we knew we had a shot at it, but repeating at anything at any level in any sport, as you know, is not easy. Um, And so the uh, players focused early on on setting a goal to at least uh, make it to that final game. We set individual goals the game prior, the Western Conference uh, Championship. That was a game where the goal was for the players to pay back their coaching staff, and the last game was for the players to pay back their sisters in arms. So we kind of have a a motif or a motto for every game. So that last game, the goal, we achieved the goal and got into the game, and then the ladies just decided that they would go ahead and and uh, shut up all the trash talkers and uh, and get the uh, get the victory. Now I did the color commentating on that game, coach. That title game, and what instantly stood out to me was the high level of execution and discipline. I don't think you guys had many penalties that that even, and a lot of coaches preached that. But on game day, you know, all bets are off and things go haywire. So, how have you been able to get? your team to buy into that philosophy on game day? Well, yeah, you're exactly right. We emphasize those areas that we can actually control. Um, You know, a common theme that we recognize is that we're not going to play a team that we're bigger than. Um, I don't mean bigger numbers, but I mean physically uh, as big. We give away quite a bit at uh, nearly every position, whether it's up front with our line or even our quarterback. Our quarterback's one of the smaller quarterbacks. So we stress taking advantage of the few things that you can control. Ball retention, penalties, those kind of things. Those are left to our players and so we obviously put a great deal of emphasis. I think in the championship game, I can recall one penalty was was actually on a pick six that uh, one of our um, DBs got so excited that the linebacker was going to score that she decided to assist her by needlessly blocking someone behind the play. And, you know, it's one of those things that enthusiasm gets you, but still those are avoidable mistakes, and that's what we really try to do. We try to not commit avoidable mistakes. Well, I shouldn't be surprised at the high level of execution and discipline that you guys displayed out there on the field that day, Coach, because of your background. You're a successful high school coach. You're an Air Force Academy grad, so I kind of understand why you do what you do. But I also just want to ask, because you guys run a triple option, and I love watching option football, why did you choose the option offense to run with your squad, the Utah Falcons? Look, that offense requires a couple of things. It requires dedication, it requires motivation, and it requires brains. You have to be 
able to understand when the defense uh, changes their look, different schemes, different techniques, to try to take away some part of the triple, but you have to be able to adapt to what they're going to present. So we recognized that if we were going to line up and um, chest bump our opponents, we were going to come up on the short end. We're a very small market team. I think Salt Lake City has less than 200,000 people in it. I look across the mountains for, at Denver, for instance, and I think they have a population of 2 million. And Dallas probably has a population of 5 million. And Boston and Chicago and those other big, very good teams come from larger markets. So their pools of athletes are bigger, stronger, faster. Um, so we had to find an offense that would allow our few uh, advantages, which was dedication and motivation and and uh, smart football IQ could level the playing field, so to speak. So that's why we went with it. Uh, the ladies bought in early because uh, a number of them that had played for uh, a number of years, a couple of the players were even back with the uh, Blitz way back in the day where they measured success by getting a first down in the game, and uh, so we knew to be able to compete that we needed to do something a little bit different, and and that was our solution. What's interesting is that when a lot of people talk explosive offenses, Coach, you tend to hear about the spread offense, the no-huddle, temp up-tempo type offense, but when you hear people talk option football, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions that are out there. What makes this offense so explosive and so dangerous out there each and every Saturday? Well, no, you're exactly right. Those are the uh, stereotype uh, attitudes towards the triple option. Um, in our case, for instance, in the past four years, uh, we've been, I think, the most successful team in, in the game in any league. Uh, we're 40-1. and one. We're averaging 54 points a game. We're surrendering four points a game. Um, and we've done that consistently for four years. So um, one of the things that the triple does is it forces you, your team, to spend a great deal of your practice time um, against an offense that you're going to see one time a year and that you likely have little to no experience with defending from your coaching staff and you absolutely don't have anybody during your prep for us that can simulate the precision and speed that you know that our players can get so what we've done is we forced the other team to spend the majority of their time working on their defense and not working on their offense which definitely helps us on the defensive side and it also i would think causes some psychological angst for our opponents in that oh my gosh this is something new um, these ladies are so quick, they're so precise, uh, and so it gives us a little bit of a psychological edge. It's one of the reasons we always choose to receive uh, on the opening flip. Whether we win the toss or lose the toss, I think this year we played ten games and we got the ball nine times. Uh, so we probably won half those flips and the other half the time they gave them to us. But it's, it does send a strong message when you can take the ball up the field stick it in the end zone um, for six points and cause your opponent to start doubting themselves. See, I find it interesting that people view the option offense under a different lens. They look at it as, oh, it's a slow-down offense, you can't come back, it's not a big play offense, and that's further from the truth. This is an offense that you can 
run yourself into a lead and also run yourself back from a deficit. So I just find it interesting that teams or people tend to view option offenses or the option offense in such a negative lens. No, I, I think you're exactly right. I think this year, again, I, I looked at the stats the other day, I think we averaged somewhere around 360 yards per game on the ground and 120 yards or so in the air. We had a woman who yards per touch uh, was tied with another player in the other league for 15 yards every time she touched. And she was injured for most of the season. But yet our quarterback had the third highest quarterback uh, rating in, e- in either league. I think she only threw the ball eight times in the championship game, but three of those were for touchdowns. One of them, I think, was a 70-yard touchdown. One was 40, 45-yard touchdown. The other was a, was a bootleg touchdown. So when you're, when you're committed to getting, and this is what we preach, we're going to take three yards every play, and we're going to bank on the fact that at some point, if you're doing your assignment football properly, somebody's going to break on you. And then all of a sudden, uh, as you get sick of watching us take three, four, five yards of play, you're going to start creeping. Your eyes are going to get off your assignment and start looking in our backfield, which in fact is what happened in our championship game. We noticed that uh, I think it's their best player was uh, starting to um, relax a little bit on one, our primary receiver, and uh, we could see her eyes uh, on the quarterback. So as we lined up, and the actual play call was a triple, we audible from the sidelines to that uh, fly pattern, to that go pattern. We threw it over the top, and she beat her girl by – six, seven yards and scored from seven yards out. So the one thing that our offense does, if, if you're committed to taking three yards of play, and also, as you know, we don't, we don't punt, um, it, it makes you uh, psychologically start doubting yourself, and, and I'm using the word cheating because that's the football term, cheat a little bit, put seven, eight, nine in the box with your eyes, also always on the ball, and it lets us get by And Once you throw a dagger over the top, as you know, that's, the wheels just start to come off. <laughs> yeah, that's so true, Coach. You can slowly see the wheel break of a football team. You see their enthusiasm and trying to defend that option slowly leave their body once you hit that big play over top. But you're coaching the Utah Falcons, and a lot of people may not know that That is in the Independent Women's Football League. And like I've said before, you were a successful high school coach. So when this opportunity opened up for you, what made it so unique that you wanted to jump at the chance to coach women's tackle football? Well, you know, I hadn't coached in a few years. I was uh, busy uh, finishing up my career and and, uh, had actually retired and was um, minding my own business in the gym when a player on the the local team who had – at the high school where I had coached at just kept saying you know hey coach come out help us just a little bit come out for one practice just get us you know get us straight and then I'll let you you know settle back down into a life of ease in your old rocking chair and and I knew I'm like don't go and my brain is screaming don't go you know you're going to get addicted you know I'm as bad as anybody with any kind of monkey on their back uh, I'm good until I take that first taste, and then I'm all in again. And, and that's exactly what happened here. I got, 
I showed up. Um, I could see that they needed some help. They had a, a, a big group of, of dedicated athletes, um, but not any real size. So it really played into my um, you know, approach to coaching football. You know, coaching adult women is so much different than coaching at the high school ranks. You know, where Johnny might be out there because mom and dad want to relive their glory, and or Johnny's out there so that he could talk to girls in the hallway. I, I did all that. You know, I did that for 14 years. But you know, the ladies on my team, they're paying to play, and uh, they don't want the air quote football experience. They want to play football. So it now changes the game to where your players will be as good as your coaching staff can make them. And I'm blessed. I've got a phenomenal offensive coordinator, a phenomenal defensive coordinator, and really strong position coaches um, that have been able to teach these ladies all the things you used to bash your brain up against the wall with the high school kids to get them to try to buy into these these players on our team they want to learn you know it's it's the more 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 not give me the ball more it's teach me more give me a greater opportunity to play this game so we're very lucky that way and you know with a big roster where you know it's incumbent on the starters to play well so that the twos and threes get their time on the field because everybody pays the same so the 53rd girls' fees are identical to the number one girls' fees. We take that approach. So we run a platoon system. Uh, most people don't notice it because we shift on ball possessions, and uh, a whole new 11 comes out. And So you may have a player that's on the starting offense, the second team defense, and then shows up again on the third team offense so that those girls have the opportunity to experience a true experience um, on the football field where something counts. So we may put our starting tackle uh, as the third-team offensive guard. You know, just something so that everybody gets meaningful reps and is a, and is a party to the victory. I, I think this year, like I said, I think we played ten games. We had... Every player in every game by halftime, and um, and that's a credit to the to the ladies, the way they they um, practice and perform. The expectations of the starters are: do your job, do it well, and do it quickly. Um, that way, the scout defense girls, who on another team may not see the field till you know clean up time late in the fourth quarter, are getting meaningful minutes. Because their friends, their family are sitting in the same stands as the starters. So that, that's the approach we take. And it's, it's not lip service. That's what we actually do. Again, Coach, I've seen the way you've done things. I've seen the way your team goes out there and performs. What would you say is your coaching philosophy and how you're able to implement that out there on the field? You know, it's a funny thing. When you're a successful team, everybody complains. I, you know, I, I look at the coach at Arkansas Polanski High School. It does a lot of things similar to what we do on onside kicking and not punting for the very same reasons I started doing that 20, 25 years ago. But it's so important that the team first and foremost 
learns the lessons that football has to offer for the rest of your life. This is an alien sport to, I mean, completely alien to virtually every player who shows up. There are some that have played flag football or powder puff football, but youth women's, youth girls football doesn't really exist. And so it becomes so important to teach the sport as a way to impart lessons that, that the players can use in the rest of their lives. You know, facing tough, uh, arduous situations. I always talk to the team one time a year about your life-changing experience, that you've made a wrong turn, you're walking down the wrong alley, and sure enough, halfway down the alley, your worst nightmare steps out. What are you going to do in that one time when it requires you to be able to respond, to stay safe or to protect your loved ones? or And being able to overcome uh, something as a individual who's pulling on the same end of the rope as the team is a common, common thread from our coaching staff to our players. And, and this isn't me. This is our entire coaching staff, from the most junior to the most senior, we stress excellence in everything that you try to do. And so we don't necessarily, I'm sure other teams will differ with us, we really, frankly, don't care on the score. What we do care is on execution. Did you do your part of the job right so that you can feel good when you're looking at the game film, when you come to practice on Tuesday, um, can you smile, get a helmet sticker, and know you earned your helmet sticker? So we do those kind of things, and we do it every week in the same way to where people are very, very interested in ensuring that they can hold their head high uh, at every one of our practices. Because we only practice during a regular season, we only practice twice a week for two hours. And then in the preseason, we practice three times a week for two hours. That's it. Not two and a half hours, not three hours. We're done in two hours. But you're busy during those two hours. And the players want to know that they helped build this legacy. Yeah. Our team isn't based on a superstar or even a group of superstars. Our team is based on a group of hard-nosed, smart, well-conditioned players who are going to knock you down and then help you up and knock you down again. We have a team rule. Uh, no trash talking. If you can't say to your opponent, what's the score, you really don't have anything to say. So and that's the way we do it. You don't hear our players um, taunting or trying to get inside the helmet of their opponent. You know, the only comments that we allow is, hey, I can't really see the scoreboard. How are we doing? And that says it all. If you take that approach, um, you're going to be a pretty good football team. Now, you mentioned the lessons that your team is learning through the game of football. What would you say is the biggest life lesson football taught you personally? For me personally, and, and this, I mean, I've got this life lesson to such a degree, it's probably a fatal flaw. I, I, I'm unable to quit. I, I just, I don't have that quit gene in me. And uh, whether that came from my parents or my siblings or from my life, it's 
it's something that that I want to impart uh, to my football team so that they know when times are truly desperate, they've got something in reserve that their opponent likely doesn't have, whether that's in their personal life or their work life or their athletic life. Just don't quit. You know, we lost a football game in championship uh, three seasons now, and the other team beat us. They were a very good team with big, powerful, quick players. I absolutely salute Pittsburgh, and that game came to play, and and we didn't. We, uh, for whatever reason, uh, the bigger stage, the bright lights, whatever you want to call it, sort of overwhelmed us. And so the, the staff and the, and the players sat down afterwards and really looked at that. where did we go wrong. And where we went wrong, in my opinion, because I think we had our girls squeezing the bat a little bit too hard before they stepped up to the plate. And uh, we took that lesson and capitalized on it. So I don't want my girls to ever ever believe that quitting is a viable option. Uh, if you're having a rough time, that's, that's life. But you finish your job, you do your part, and once it's over, then you make your decision. But we don't quit. And uh, I think you can see that in the way we perform in the field because our, our silver unit will play every bit as aggressive as our black unit plays. Um, and that's it. We don't go with one, twos, and threes. We go with black, blue, and silver. Blue and silver, obviously, for the obvious reasons. And I did appreciate your recognition of the option football consisting of the Air Force Academy and some other unnamed schools. Um, <laughs> I, I'll give you Georgia Tech. You could have said Georgia Tech, but those other two schools, no. <laughs> we, don't, we don't say those words publicly. But... Uh, but we, we, that's the way we try to run our, our team, and, uh, and, and it works real well. You know, we do little, tiny, tiny things. We, as you saw, we're a wristband, tempo-related team. And one of the reasons we do that is to eliminate their coaching staff, uh, to eliminate their ability to sub in and out so that this game is going to come down to a nasty dogfight where we believe we're in better shape and better prepared than our adversary is. And uh, if you can get 50 players that are all willing to put in the time, do those kind of things in those two-hour blocks, yeah, you can be pretty good because we certainly aren't overly athletically gifted. Now, you touched on it a little bit earlier, Coach, that you can't quit, and the player had to constantly come back and, and poke you to get you to come back out there and coach, but that shows a lot of love for the game. What is it about the game that you love the most? I just think it's one of those rare activities where individuals are challenged above and beyond their comfort level, and they have to make the mental decision to do what's required to succeed. It's, it's a lesson that we... You know, I can say this as an older American that is sort of out of vogue. Um, I remember that when I was playing Pop Warner football in Southern California, we ended up taking second place in our league. The first place team played in Hawaii. The second place team got on a bus and drove to Utah. And, I mean, come on. <laughs> I want to go to Hawaii. But... Uh, we didn't get a, a juice box, a, a donut, and a medal 
for coming in second, third, or fourth place. We, you got a trophy if you won it. And if you didn't win it, you better work harder next year. It's just kind of a subtle change in our, in our culture. I'm not saying for the better or the worse, but the result is that um, in many cases um, our youngsters have never really been pushed or allowed themselves to push themselves to such a level to where, holy smokes, I'm out of my comfort zone here. I got to do, I got to do something different because football is an incredibly mentally uh, tough game, and for me, the toughness that I learned playing the sport um, has allowed me to do what I've been able to do in my own life. I, I directly attribute that kind of need to compete at the best level I can to be paramount as a way to live my life. And hopefully I've imparted it to my uh, children, and, uh, and now I'm currently imparting it to my grandchildren. <laughs> well, Coach, it's been a real honor to, to speak with you. I didn't get a chance to speak with you after that championship game because you were a little bit too busy celebrating, but I can understand that you just won back-to-back titles. But in all seriousness, I think you do a great job coaching your, your squad keeping them in tune to what's going on. They're very disciplined, and I'm not surprised at the level of success that you've enjoyed coaching the Utah Falcons. So we wish you the best of luck moving forward, Coach, and I really do appreciate you taking time to talk with us. Well, Emory, thank you for the kind words. I, you know, I want to make sure you understand I'm just one of the many cogs in our football team. I, uh, the, uh, the guys I have coaching with me, guys and gals, and the women that I'm allowed to coach, uh, that's a big deal, yes. Uh, I set the table, but uh, everybody else eats before I eat. Uh, that's the military in me, and uh, the, uh, the team has responded. I, I think that women's football can grow and grow at exponential rates if we just allow it to do that and we expect we take the best from the men's game, from the boys' game, and incorporate it into our game, and we try to avoid the less uh, good actions that exist in football. We, we, we don't allow that on our team, and by we don't allow it, it's the players. The players have their own discipline system. They have their own uh, decisions if they're going to keep a player or not keep a player because unlike every other football team in the United States, we don't require contracts from any player. Everybody else signs their players. We don't because the theory is if, if you don't like bananas, that other team serving bananas, go get some of them because we're trying to serve this. And if you like this, come get yourself a heaping plateful. But if you don't like this, and it's just as likely people may not like that approach, uh, go to another team. So we don't do those kind of things to build our football program. It's our coaching staff and our players um, that have set that tone for the way we play the game. Coach, where can people find out more information about the Utah Falcons and, and follow you guys as you prep for the 2018 season? You can uh, follow us on uh, Facebook. Um, you can't follow me because I don't do social media. But, uh, <laughs> Utah, UtahFalcons.com, and you can look at us on uh, YouTube. And, uh, you know, what you see us do this year is what we are going to attempt to do next year. And we're going to run our offense uh, at a higher level and with better conditioned athletes 
and that's our game plan. If there's no, we're not going to trick you. We're going to show up and play football, and um, and anybody who I've ever invited to a game who's coming, you know, people I've coached uh, in high school or people I coached with in high school all come with their arms folded. Yeah, girls playing football, and then you know the game's over. And, you're standing there, and they walk up, and they got these big old smiles on their face, and go, "Huh, I didn't see that coming." And there are some great teams across this country, you know, D.C. and Dallas and Boston and Chicago, St. Louis. Those are some incredibly talented teams. San Diego. Those teams are incredible. They do very similar things to us, just at a different level, and. Uh, and so it's a great sport. People will get addicted if they just come and watch one time, and they'll find themselves about midway through the second quarter, you know, yelling for this, that, or the other thing, just like we all do when we go watch our favorite Air Force Falcons or USC Trojans <laughs> playing on Saturday. Uh, well, you know, you got to do a little plug. You know what, Coach, you brought up a good point. I'm glad I have you on. I don't want to – let you go without asking you this question. I've always wanted to ask this. Now, I've coached softball before, so I know the difference that there, are, that there is between coaching men and coaching women, but what differences have you seen or experienced out there going from high school football, coaching guys, to now coaching women? You know, I think it's probably very similar to finding yourself in the middle of nowhere with a person who's never been out of the middle of nowhere when a jet flies overhead and the person looks up and they don't understand what that is. They don't understand the game because they've never played the game. So when you're trying to teach them the game, you have to remember that you should constantly be looking for the question mark over their head. Because these women want to play this sport and they want to play it at the highest level possible. If you can eliminate the question mark, You'll be amazed how good they are. Because, frankly, we've played a number of games in these past four seasons against teams where I felt the majority of head-to-head competition, the better athlete was on the other side of the line of scrimmage. They were bigger, stronger, faster, whatever. But when it came to pulling together as a unit and trying to exert their will on my players – they lack that. So what we really do is we spend a good deal of time explaining why we do it and how this part, how this explosion into motion causes a linebacker to lean so that two plays down the road when our offensive coordinator wants to run a trap or a counter, we know that linebacker who's lined up in our B-gap on the weak side is probably going to be head up with our center by the time the ball snapped. It makes the block easier because the women understand, okay, now I know why we do this. Because who wants to, who wants to go full speed when they know they're not the hot receiver? Well, our players do. Uh, you know, who wants to make the block 25 yards downfield when you're the backside offensive tackle or guard? Our girls do because they know what that does. And if you look at our game film, you'll see many touchdowns where the ball carrier is running down with two or three uh, backside linemen escorting them into the end zone. That's the way the game should be played. And uh, I found that with with the ladies, um, 
if you'll take the time to explain the concept and how the pieces all fit, you can end up with a pretty nice quilt. Um, whereas I think we kind of forget about that with with boys, at least at the high school level, because we assume they've been taught by their little league coaches all of this is a chip block, you know, this is a cut, you know, all of those kind of terms. They've got those. My players don't know those terms, so I've got to teach them to them and explain why it's so important that you do it this way. For instance, I mean, I know you're a triple guy yourself. The fullback's got to step with the opposite foot to keep the mesh tight. They've got to make the same step with the same arm up at the same aim point every play because if they don't, we can't diagnose what the defense is doing to stop play A, B, or C. So if, once you explain that to your ladies, they're all over it. They'll, they'll do that all day and all day long for you. you just got to take the time to teach them. Well, Coach, I've enjoyed this conversation. This was great. I learned a lot. And, again, I'm not surprised at why you guys have had so much success and why you have had a lot of success in your coaching tenure. So we definitely wish you the best of luck. Thank you for taking time, Coach. And maybe we get 2018 back-to-back-to-back champions for the Utah Falcons. But, Coach, appreciate it. Thank you, Emory. I appreciate the conversation, and uh, we'll see you again soon. So that's it for this episode of Football Game Plans, Talking Ball with the Czar. I'm Emory Hunt, the Czar of the Playbook. Big time shout out to the Utah Falcons and their head coach, Rick Rasmussen. Again, for any one of our podcasts, you can find it on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. But make sure you go and subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. 